Now, we often hear that global warming or climate change is at catastrophic levels, and humans need to take action to prevent destroying the planet. But how serious is it really? Is there a biblical way to approach this controversial topic? Today on Creation Magazine Live. This is the audio podcast version of our TV show. Both of them are produced by Creation Ministries International. Welcome to the first episode of Season 9 of Creation Magazine Woo! Live. Season I'm, 9. <laughs> yeah. I'm Richard Fangrad. And I'm Matt Bondi. Now, when visiting churches, CMI speakers often get asked about climate change. It's not surprising since uh, we employ Bible-believing scientists, and many Christians are looking for direction on, on, on the issue by informed researchers. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, <laughs> the issue that many are, are near hysterical about is that atmospheric temperature is supposedly going up because humans are producing too much carbon dioxide. Right. And if temperature goes beyond a certain threshold, it'll be catastrophic for life on Earth. That's yes. called anthropogenic yeah. global warming. Oh, whoa. And, <laughs> Can you say that one again? It's anthropogenic. means man-made. Okay, man-made. Yeah. Right. And uh, that leads to a key point that we need to clarify here. It's not just, is there climate change, but are humans to blame? Yes, yes. Two separate questions yep. there. Now, this is a huge topic, and today we'll begin to examine the issue from a Christian and scientific uh, perspective, but we won't have time to cover all the points this half hour, so we'll extend this topic to next week's show, too, and address whether climate is changing. If so, how drastic is it? Are humans to blame, and how should Christians respond? Yeah, lots of questions. Almost all the content for these two shows comes from a massive article on our website by Dr. Don Batten with contributions from Bible-leading scientists from all around the world. Even with two half-hour shows dedicated to this topic, we're only summarizing the main point. So for more details, check out that article at creation.com slash climate change. Now, we're covering this topic because uh, it has a lot to do with worldviews. Uh, you know, a view of the world, an all-encompassing perspective on everything that exists and matters to us. A person's worldview represents his most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about the universe he inhabits. And different worldviews will produce different reactions and actions to the topic of climate change. Right, yeah. And our Christian, uh, or, or let's say biblical worldview, compels us to revere the God of creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the principles relevant to today's subject are the universe and earth were created through and for Jesus Christ. Yeah, and the earth was also created for mankind. We're called to be holy and blameless in Jesus Christ. Christ holds his creation together. We are to worship the creator not the creation, or Gaia, or Mother Earth. Mankind is called to steward God's creation. Yes. As Christians, we affirm that we have responsibility to look after the environment. We are also compelled to consider the poor and the general welfare of our neighbors, among other things. Yeah, so those are some of the basics, foundational to the Christian worldview, that provide really a starting point for understanding this, this issue of climate change. Yeah. Building on from there, we need to be mindful of the real history of the world from the Bible. Yes. <laughs> Especially those, you know, those events that would impact climate change and the climate change debate. And we'll contrast this history with the you know, naturalistic history uh, and worldview where there is no God. So you know, everything came from you know, nothing, natural processes over billions of years. Uh, humans are no more important than cows or trees or, or cockroaches for that matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you nice. see, some claim that the environment was, you know, fine for hundreds of millions of years until man came along and messed it up. But in the biblical view, from the beginning, humans were created to care for and rule over the earth. Yeah, and, and those are really different worldviews. Right. Now, 
Another major historical event related to climate change happened about 4,500 years ago. Noah's flood covered the earth in water and buried massive amounts of vegetation and animals, turning them into coal and other fossil fuels. Nearly all of today's coal was formed from the vegetation buried during Noah's flood. The huge amount of buried vegetation suggests that pre-flood CO2 levels must have been very high compared to today levels. CO2 is plant food. Right. Even secular geologists agree that ancient Paleozoic uh, CO2 levels were much higher, like even 15 yeah. times more than way they are higher, today. Yeah. Way higher. Yeah, there's no evidence that the Earth was, you know, cooked by this situation, uh, you know, a runaway yep. greenhouse effect or something. Uh, the much higher CO2 levels would boost plant productivity and also allow for much more animal biomass. Right, yeah. Another key event to consider is that the flood created ideal conditions for an ice age right. for a few hundred years following the flood. These were both catastrophic climate events. Since then, there have been, you know, comparatively minor uh, fluctuations in climate. Uh, our environment is designed to be reasonably stable. As, as Genesis 8.22 suggests, while earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Yeah, now naturalists deny a global flood and claim, you know, many ice ages over millions of years. Right. Uh, this is based largely on the Milankovitch theory, which suggests small wobbles in the Earth's orbit around the sun over long periods of time resulted in slight differences in solar radiation. Uh, but the small differences they propose can't really create the massive changes in the environment needed for an ice age. So instability is instability. built into the models. The yeah. Key. And they think, they think about it like this. I mean, if a little change in sunlight can cause radical change in climate, then, you know, a little change in greenhouse gases like CO2 should maybe do the same. Yeah, so there's one of the bases for climate alarmism, right? Right, yeah. I mean, if you believe, you know, that little changes produce massive ice ages, then, you know, little changes in CO2 might very well cook the earth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another event to consider is that, I mean, yes, God created everything very good originally, mm -hmm. but because Adam sinned, Creation is cursed and is right. in a state of decay. Romans 8 says that the creation was subjected to futility and is currently in bondage to corruption. But God promises to restore this decaying creation, turning it into the new heavens and new earth where believers will spend eternity with him. Now, the book of Revelation describes future events and talks about this current earth as, you know, past tense, saying the first right. heaven and the first earth had passed away. Yes. Christians have, uh, you know, been commanded to look after the earth, but our hope is in something far better that's yet to come. Yeah, and, and naturalism doesn't offer a hope like no. that. So you can see why naturalists might want to overemphasize or even distort the severity of climate change. You think this earth, earth is, that's all we have, yeah. right? Or, or Elon Musk, the CEO of SpaceX, wants to make humans a multi-planetary species. Right. Uh, one of the reasons he wants to colonize Mars is so that humans could survive an extinction event on Earth, like World War III or climate change. Right. There's also uh, hints of Gaia worship among some environmentalists who see humans as, you know, evil for using up resources. Yes. They, they sort of equate, uh, you know, this with killing Mother Earth. And that is a little bit different from naturalism as it involves worshiping creation. But, you know, it does still figure into this whole climate change issue. Right, right. And, and finally, God is sovereign. Right. He's in control of history and weather and in all the creation, guiding it to the end that he's decreed, despite all attempts by humans to control their destiny. He, he, I mean, he, he made us caretakers, but we have a limited amount of control <laughs> That's there. That's right. 
you know, for naturalists, uh, you know, if there's no God and if humans are responsible for destroying the environment, then I guess it's assumed that only humans can fix it. Fix it, right? Yeah. Uh, the climate change debate is largely dominated by the worldview coming out of naturalism. So Christians need to be a little careful, on one hand, not to reject the whole issue because of that, and on the other hand, not to blindly accept the statements from from climate leaders, climate change leaders. So how scientific is climate change? Well, here are five considerations about how science works and how this impacts the science of climate change. You know, one basic tenet of science is that it is testable. Right. The heart of the scientific method is that hypotheses can be tested with experiments. And, you know, after doing a number of experiments, uh, the results allow the calculation of a confidence in the conclusion being true and, you know, not just some random variation. Right, yeah. Now, probability of 95% is normally the lowest accepted in science. So, in other words... You know, it's okay if one experiment in 20 gives a, a, a false result. Okay, yeah. Uh, in climate science, the observation is that global temperature has been going up as well as the level of CO2. The hypothesis is that CO2 released into the atmosphere by human activity is causing the higher temperature. Now, the problem is that it's not possible to design a repeatable experiment to test this hypothesis That's right. because of the size, complexity, and uniqueness of the system. I mean, after all, there's only one planet Earth, you know, and and it's rather complicated. A little, yeah. (laughs) So we're left with uh, conjectures and predictions. You know, applying statistical models to the past temperature data can generate a prediction for the future, but the confidence limits are so wide that the predictions are, you know, kind of useless. Yeah, yeah, and and this approach can't say whether CO2 is causing the change. So the climate models that predict a temperature response to CO2 have to be deterministic. That is, they have to assume that the inputs will determine the temperature. Mm. So the assertion, based on these models, that CO2 causes global warming is, is actually circular reasoning. And right. that's, a, that's a big no-no in science. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay, so the second point is that science cannot prove theories to be true, only false. Right. Observing a result, uh, you know, predicted by a hypothesis, that doesn't prove the hypothesis as there may be other explanations. So higher temperatures, for example, could be the result of something other than CO2. It's possible, yeah. Yeah, but if the data shows higher temperatures with lower levels of CO2, that would disprove the hypothesis. Number three, correlation doesn't mean causation. Mm. So even if the CO2 levels and the temperatures are both on the rise, it doesn't prove that one caused the other. Like, for example, um, between June and December of 2008, both the temperature in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and the Toronto Stock Exchange decreased dramatically. <laughs> but no one has ever blamed the stock market for the plunge in, in Calgary weather. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> no causation there. Okay, number four, science is often captured by a ruling paradigm. A paradigm is a framework used by default to interpret data. For example, since mainstream science is dominated by naturalism, Conclusions that include a, a creator or intelligent designer are automatically excluded. Yeah. You know, in climate science, this can be leaving out explanations other than man-made CO2. Right. Number five, peer review lends credibility to research, but it doesn't ensure truth necessarily. There, there are many examples of failure in the peer review process within climate science as well as other disciplines. Yeah. So you can see how the climate change issue is quite complex. Yes. Uh, we've just briefly outlined five things to consider about how science works and, and some of the challenges in applying good scientific practices to the climate change debate. Uh, before that, we looked at historical considerations that would 
really dramatically impact how we understand or prioritize atmospheric data. Yes. And uh, we began with outlining worldview considerations. Yeah, okay, so with, with all these considerations, now let's dive into some of the data. Okay, since much of the debate revolves around CO2 emissions, let's start there. In 1860, the amount of CO2 in our atmosphere was approximately uh, 285 parts per million, okay. or 0.029%. Now, as of uh, 2020, it was 410 parts per million, or 0.41%. So that's uh, just under 50% increase over 160 years. And the current rate of increase is about uh, two parts per million per year. Okay, meanwhile, the planet has warmed by about 0.8 degrees Celsius since 1880. But half of this occurred before any significant change to the CO2. This graph shows both the man-made CO2 emissions and global temperature changes from 1850 to 2010. The green line shows an increase in man-made CO2, most of it since 1940, you can see, the black line shows fluctuations in overall temperature. Now notice that the rate of temperature increased from 1860 to 1880, when, when there was relatively little man-made CO2, is about the same mm. as for the most recent period when emissions were about 60 times higher. <laughs> Interesting. Now also note that there were dips in temperature at times when CO2 emissions were still going up. <laughs> so the increase in temperature cannot be entirely due to man-made CO2. No. Uh, now, that's not to say, you know, it isn't a factor, but it's just maybe not the most significant one. Right. Human contribution to CO2 emissions by burning fossil fuels accounts for less than 5% of the total global carbon budget. I mean, other factors include things like uh, changes in land use, deforestation, volcanoes, CO2 release from the oceans as they warm, yeah. uh, the breakdown of organic remains such as dead wood and forests and, you know, other factors like that. Yeah, and CO2 is just one of many greenhouse gases in our atmosphere. These gases are important for life on Earth because without them, the average temperature would be about 33 degrees Celsius lower than it is now. No. So, <laughs> Ooh, that'd be cold. So chilly, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, now uh, nearly all of the warming effect is actually due to a powerful greenhouse gas called, are you ready for this? Water vapor. Oh, water vapor, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's only about 3.3 degrees of it is from CO2, man-made or otherwise. <laughs> Yet it's CO2 that we hear about most often. Yeah, and that's astounding, isn't it? Yeah. That water vapor is a far more significant greenhouse gas. Right. And other greenhouse gases include, you know, methane, uh, nitrous oxide, uh, chlorofluorocarbons. It, it seems strange that water is often left out of the climate change debate, yes. but it has a, a much greater effect on temperature than greenhouse gases. You know, maybe we should uh, focus on, you know, reducing our water vapor emissions. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure that'll work, but like even assuming if all of the two parts per million increase in CO2 is man-made, mm. it would take nearly 200 years to double the level to 800. So why panic? Like, right. why, why, why panic? You know? That's actually a good question. <laughs> you know, is it really about following the science? Well, hmm. The climate change debate is dominated by not just naturalism, but also humanism and neo-Marxism. Yes, some of the rhetoric is more about politics and philosophy than saving the planet. Uh, consider this statement from economist Otmar Endenhofer, uh, an official with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC. And he says, uh, but one must say clearly that we redistribute de facto the world's wealth by climate policy. Obviously, the owners of coal and oil will not be enthusiastic about this. One has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. This has almost nothing to do with environmental policy anymore. 
Yeah, and that's a mainstream, or and it's becoming more of a mainstream viewpoint. A more radical activist, Stuart Baston, co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, he wrote this. And I'm here to say that XR, Extinction Rebellion, isn't about the climate. You see, the climate's breakdown is a symptom of a toxic system that has infected the ways we relate to each other as humans and to all life. So, and he goes on to say uh, pretty much that he's given up on fixing the climate. Uh, but the real problems include things like white supremacy and, and class hierarchy. He says that Extinction Rebellion is about fixing the system, which essentially means destroying Western society. <laughs> wow. that, that's, that's where they're going with this. And some radical political parties have used environmentalism to promote sweeping change, uh, such as reduction of world population and, yeah. and destruction of free markets. Now, this would lead to widespread poverty, and yes. they hope would make folks more likely to vote for neo-Marxist policies. Ironically, the environment has suffered in all Marxist countries to date. Yeah. So one question for activists is, why not focus on the biggest CO2 contributors mm. like China and India? In, right. in 2018, for example, China generated almost 1,000 gigawatts of electricity from oh, coal. Wow. The United States was only 261, and Australia, for example, at 36. China and India are planning hundreds more coal-fired power stations. Australia, for example, accounts for only 1.2% of the world's emissions, but like other Western nations, they're targeted by activists far more than China. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's not that Western nations shouldn't reduce emissions, right. but shouldn't the protest be focused on the biggest offenders? Yeah, you, you right. Think? You'd think yeah. so. <laughs> now, the U.S. Uh, has recently reduced emissions by focusing more on natural gas, which right. emits far less CO2 than coal. Uh, the IPCC, the International Panel uh, on Climate Change, identified nuclear power as an important alternative. Yes. But it currently generates only about 10% of the world's electricity from just 440 reactors. Uh, now, it's both green and relatively cheap over the long term, but, you know, most activists, they don't seem very interested in it. Yeah. There seems to be some shady things going on, <laughs> yeah. especially when there's money to be made. Now, for example, former U.S. Vice President Al Gore is well known for promoting the need to reduce our so-called carbon footprint. Uh, yet his mansion uses about 21 times as much energy as the average U.S. home. Now, to offset this, he buys carbon credits, but he buys them from companies that he founded to trade carbon credits, <laughs> companies now worth millions. Yeah, there's also something fishy about the infamous uh, hockey stick graph. Yes, there is. <laughs> the graph shows that after a thousand-year period of relative relatively stable temperatures, there was a dramatic spike within the last century, uh, particularly in the last few decades. Now, this is usually attributed to the use of fossil fuels. However, this graph has been shown to be fraudulent. Yes, yeah, it doesn't record either the medieval warming period or the Little Ice Age mm -hmm. from the, the, from the mid-1300s to about 1885. When we add those back, the graph should look more like this, showing fluctuations in global temperatures before any increase in man-made CO2 emissions. <laughs> well, you know, it said that a uh, picture is worth a thousand words. Yes. Well, the image of uh, that fraudulent graph was a fear-mongering tactic that influenced millions of people. That, yeah, that's right. And the fear it, pr it produced motivated people to voting climate activists. There's also a lesson from history here, and that's that the world was better off when global temperatures were warmer. Yes. <laughs> In commenting on a TV documentary about global warming, anti-creationist Ian Plimmer said, Groups like Bamus and the IPCC deny, minimize, or ignore significant recent climate changes that gave us 
the Roman warming, the Dark Ages, the medieval warming, and the Little Ice Age. Both history and archaeology show that in previous warmings, temperatures were far higher than at present. Populations and economy thrive. Nice. Previous coolings led to famine, depopula- uh, depopulation, and social disruption. History shows that it is dangerous to ignore history. Yes, yeah. So a little warmer is actually a little better. Better. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it's clear that there are other goals mixed in with the climate change debate, right? And it's not just about saving the planet and, and, and following the science. There's outright fraud. Mm. Now, let's, let's talk about the predictions uh, made by activists, including the IPCC, and compare them with the actual data. In the 1970s, we were told, and many of you will remember this, that we're heading for another ice age, right? right? Now, that didn't happen. No. Oops. <laughs> uh, but some of the same experts who predicted global cooling started talking about global warming. But then again, those predictions didn't materialize. So today, it's, it's just called climate change, right? right? It's just climate change. Yeah. Uh, for example, in 2008, Dr. Tim Flannery from the Australian government's climate change unit said, just imagine yourself in a world five years from now. Uh, so that would be uh, 2013. 2013. Yeah. When there's no more ice over the Arctic. Oh. <laughs> in that same year, Al Gore made a similar prediction. Uh, that was the common view of the mainstream climate scientists at the time. Uh, yeah. Now, the minimum annual coverage of Arctic sea ice has declined from a high of about uh, 7.5 million square kilometers in 1990. Uh, but it was actually higher in 2020 than it was in 2012 at nearly 4 million square kilometers. And, and that's a lot of ice. That's, that's still that's a lot of ice. Lot of ice. Yeah. Uh, so the predictions were way off. Yeah. And and by the way, the fluctuations in the amount of Arctic ice over over time are expected. That this was especially true after the post-flood ice age a few thousand years ago. Right. Now we, we said before that it's generally agreed that the greenhouse effect of a doubling of atmospheric CO2 means the temperature rises about 1.1 degrees Celsius. So at the current rates, it'll take about 200 years to double the CO2 concentration, resulting in another 1.1 degrees. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal? The big deal is because climate models include positive feedback or amplification, uh, mostly from increased water vapor as a result of warming oceans. The idea is that uh, for the 1.1 degree of warming caused by a CO2 increase alone, the ECS or equilibrium climate sensitivity would result in a total increase of between 1.5 and 4.5 degrees. Okay. Uh, okay, so how do the climate models compare with the observations? Yeah. Well, predicting future temperature is difficult. Yeah. Uh, even the IPCC noted in, in 2001, the climate system is a coupled, nonlinear, chaotic system, and therefore the long-term prediction of future climate states is not possible. Oh, yeah, but they went ahead anyway. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. Using over 100 different models. Yeah, okay, okay. So if the science is settled, as we often hear, all you need is one. Yeah, yeah, that should do it. <laughs> <laughs> the one based on science. Well, this graph shows the many uh, predictions from 102 models. Uh, the black line represents the average. Notice all of the actual readings from three different satellites, the green, red, and blue lines. The actual data is much lower than any of the 102 models predicted, even though CO2 levels went up, there's a fail. <laughs> no kidding. The, the, the models are simply wrong. But, but wait, there's, there's more prediction failures. Model predictions for ocean temperatures were also wrong. This graph shows the models in red compared to the actual data from over 3,000 robotic instruments floating all over the oceans from 2004 to 2012. Another fail. <laughs> 
If positive feedback occurs from increased water vapor, there should be an atmospheric hotspot in the middle latitudes at the tropics. Okay. Again, note the models in red versus actual data from satellites and weather balloons. None of the data showed any hotspots. <laughs> Fail again. <laughs> seeing a pattern here, right? Let's keep going. Increased water vapor is supposed to trap more of the incoming solar radiation, so more warming. As sea surface temperature rises, there should be less outgoing radiation from the Earth, but satellite measurements show outgoing radiation is increasing, the opposite of IPCC predictions. Yet another fail. <laughs> the data shows positive feedback isn't operating. No. In fact, there's strong evidence for negative feedback, yeah. probably resulting from enhanced cloud cover reflecting the sun's radiation back into space. When negative feedback is taken into consideration, the warming effect of doubling atmospheric CO2 is only about 0.5 degrees Celsius, nowhere near the 4.5 degrees no. the summit predicted. No. Uh, similarly, a comprehensive study uh, from a German company arrived at an ECS of uh, 0.7 degrees, and they also concluded that negative feedbacks more than offset positive feedback. So, you know, the bottom line here is we don't need drastic action to stay within the 1.5 degree target. No, no. And, and look, we're just getting started. Time's winding down here, but we'll continue next week. There are some very interesting things we'll talk about then. But even now, aren't you shocked by some of the data that, that we've presented here? <laughs> you know, we used to hear about how, you know, the science is settled, but, yes. you know, we don't even hear that anymore. The idea that increased CO2 is going to roast the planet, you know, that's just assumed to be a fact it's now. Just, right, yeah. And, and if, if you don't believe it, well, you're just, you're just uneducated or you're, you're a denier, right? On the same level as somebody who believes that God created the earth about 6,000 <laughs> right. years ago, right? You just don't understand science. Yeah. This is the notion. Yeah, and there's the notion that 97% of scientists agree that man-made yes. CO2 will cause catastrophic global warming. <laughs> Actually, let's, uh, let's start with that claim next week. Yeah, sounds good. Thomas and Alexander will be hosting next week's show, and, uh, and they can start with that. Now remember, Christianity is an evidence-based faith. And science supports scripture. See you next week. Creation Magazine Live is a production of Creation Ministries International, the publisher of Creation Magazine and the minds behind creation.com. If you want to chip in to support our ministry, go to creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.